Well, as I'm sure you're all eagerly counting down, in two days we're going to celebrate Independence Day. And I'm going to share those familiar words from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there's an interesting connection between the pursuit of happiness and virtue. And uh, I, I found this here written, um, written about the, the historical understanding the founders had about the pursuit of happiness. And it was written by Eric Burer, and he said, he writes this here, extended quotation, the founders understood True happiness was the result of living a virtuous life. Therefore, in order to pursue happiness, one must pursue virtue. Thomas Jefferson, who penned the Declaration of Independence, later wrote, virtue is the foundation of happiness. Benjamin Franklin, who assisted Jefferson in drafting the Declaration of Independence, wrote, I believe God is pleased and delights in the happiness of those he created. And since without virtue, man can have no happiness in this world, I firmly believe he delights to see me virtuous because he is pleased when he sees me happy. The founders were also greatly influenced by Christian philosopher John Locke. He wrote of the necessity of pursuing happiness as the foundation of liberty and explained that God joined virtue and public happiness together and made the practice thereof necessary to the preservation of society. And further down, Eric wrote this. When the founders wrote about religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, they were referring to the three key elements for a virtuous and flourishing society. Thus, a happy society. To be a self-governing people, each one of us must govern ourselves to love our neighbor as ourselves. This Independence Day is a great opportunity to remind ourselves that to pursue happiness, we must pursue virtue. And I think he, he said that very well, and it's a, a great connection and a very timely one, because as we're continue, continuing our series in Second Peter, our, the next thing we're looking at in 2 Peter today is virtue. Verse 5 says, add or supplement your faith with virtue. And so that's what we're going to be considering today. And now, I cannot in our short time today say everything that's ever been said about virtue. Uh, this topic, topic is as old as mankind. And so I, I will not be saying anything new today. In fact, I, I need to acknowledge the Gospel Coalition a lot, because I read at least a dozen articles of theirs about this for today. Um, so I'm not saying anything new, but it is profoundly important. And, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping today to just simply present why virtue is worth pursuing, what virtues are we talking about, and how do you do it? So before we read from a second Peter here, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for your, your word to us, which shows us the truth, 
which shows us what is right and wrong, what is virtuous, and how to live well, and how to um, be your children, be your creations. And we pray that we would find grace and help in need, a new life in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So 2 Peter, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. We consider virtue as just a big category. We would say it's your moral character expressed in the way you live. It's connected with who you are in every part of your life. And the reasons to pursue virtue are, were presented right there in the first four verses of 2 Peter. Uh, but it's also in, the verse, in verse 8 further down, which we read last week and we'll read again today. Peter says in verse 8, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why virtue? Well, virtue is an essential part of a fruitful life. Virtue is also part of the world and the story that we find ourselves in. In verse 5, Peter exhorts you, for this very reason, make every effort. And as we said, the, the, the reasons, verses 1 through 4, God has rescued you from the corruption that is in the world and he's made you a partaker of the divine nature through the righteousness of Christ given for you. So God has, he's rescued you from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. You've escaped from those devices, the, device, the vices that are in your own soul, the vices that cause ruin and destruction. And it might have felt, you know, we, all of us have, have pursued our vices at, at some point here, and it might have felt like they fulfilled short-term gain because they were meeting a sinful desire. But long-term, they are self-destructive. And God's salvation, it rescues you from your own vices. So if that's what has happened, and you know that, then wouldn't you want to replace those vices with his virtues? God, and God has done, he's done much more than a, a jailbreak. He hasn't just broken you out of, of corruption jail. He has restored you. He's granted us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness. He's made you a partaker in the divine nature. He has replaced your natural vices with his inherent virtues. And he grants them to you from a pure source, the pure source himself. Now, many times in the Bible, the, the miraculous healings of the body are also illustrations for the healing of the soul. So when the layman's legs are restored, he leaps. You know, when the blind man's eyes are opened, you know, he, he looks around, he sees, and he looks. And virtue is similar in many ways. When God restores your soul, you pursue virtue. And, and to not pursue virtue, it would be like the blind man re refusing to open his eyes after he's been healed. Or it would be like the lame man refusing to use his legs after he's been healed. So when you realize, because God's word has shown you how your vices were ruining your life from your, from your own lies, from your own unfaithfulness, your greed, your lust, your pride, and you, you've, he's opened your eyes to see how deceptions and lies held your life captive. And then you see how God has saved you. How could you not turn from vice to virtue, from death to life? So we see, first of all, that the reasons for pursuing virtue is it's a response to God's salvation, to what he's done in your life. But also, since God has made you a partaker in the divine nature, then growing in virtue is becoming who you already are in Jesus Christ. So God's saying he's, he's granted you the virtues of Christ. He's granted you courage and honesty and wisdom and self-control and, and so on and so on. So if he's granted them to you, learn how to use them, make them a part of your life. Pursuing virtue is practicing what we preach. It's becoming the truth we believe. It's becoming like the God we proclaim, like the God who has saved us. And also, as we read earlier, the founders understood virtue is the way to a happy life. Virtues are, are your moral qualities that lead you to act in the way that leads to a happy life. And this makes a whole lot of sense when we just think about God and the world. It, since God made the world, he created the world, he made it consistent with his own virtues. And when we live according to his virtues, then we live according to who and what he created us to be. We, and we're living then in harmony with the world he made. And that's going to lead to your happiness and thriving. Now, sin and corruption, they're an invasion of creation. They are an invasion of creation and of mankind's moral nature. Sin is the anomaly, the invader. And sin's lie is that happiness is found in pursuing this or that sinful pleasure. Just go after the pleasure, especially sinful pleasure. And sin lies and says, that's where you'll find happiness. But it, all it does is leave you empty and hollow and hungry for more, always hungry for more. But virtue, godly virtues, 
when you live according to them, they are what lead to satisfaction and contentment and lasting happiness in life. So if the wicked appear to gain for a season, even a very long season, know it is only temporary. And they only, the wicked and, and only gain through sin at great cost to the world around them and at great cost to their own soul. So now, where do we start? What virtues are we talking about? Well, fortunately, Holy Scripture does give us clear direction. And, and Peter says, hey, the, the starting point, before you go into the virtues, you must start with faith. And he's not listing faith, in 2 Peter, he's not listing faith as one of the virtues to pursue. He's saying, you must start with faith before you can grow in virtue. Supplement your faith with virtue. Faith in God's goodness is essential. If you do not have a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you do not have the pure source of virtue. And all your attempts to, to gain and grow in virtue are going to be corrupted. Now, they'll, they'll still benefit your life. Virtues are still virtues. They're going to be good for your life. But if you don't have God in your life, then your pursuit of virtues is going gonna, is gonna to sour. It's not going to be all that it, it was meant to be in him. So faith is essential for starting in virtue. Scripture also teaches that the companion of faith is holy fear. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And one commentator says, Proverbs 1.7 seeks to instill in us the indispensable virtues for becoming wise. We must tremble of the Lord's holiness, just as we are drawn to him in love. We must warmly accept instruction, and we must always resist the pride that will take us off our path. Do you have the humility to receive instruction? Do you have the humility to ask yourself that, that very hard question, might I be wrong? Something that me or every one of us needs to be willing to ask ourselves. But above all, do you fear God? Do you fear God above all else? Do you understand that he is supreme in all matters? These are essential to growing in virtue. And without them, you will not receive what God has for you. And now there are many virtues. That's our foundation. Okay, what virtues should we go after? And then I don't want to, I can't list them all. I just want, I want to focus on the four cardinal virtues and love. And, and the ancients referred to the four cardinal virtues as prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Now, we don't use prudence and fortitude a whole lot in modern conversation, um, so I'm going to use a letter <clears throat> that was published here uh, by Phil Anderis. He wrote it to a young man and to exhort him to grow in the virtues of wisdom, justice, courage, and self-possession. And he, he said this very well. And, and so I'm, I'm just going to read the full quote from his letter to this young man um, and on, on each of these four virtues. And, but these are for every person here. Um, but if you hear him talking to a young man, <laughs> that's him, the letter speaking. So, um, but it's for all of us. So, 
First of all, Eric said, or Phil talks about wisdom. Wisdom is the power to see past appearances to what's real and to make sound judgments on the basis of that vision of things. The Bible says once and again that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's because God is the most real thing there is. And the fear of God is what happens when a man recognizes the sheer reality of the Lord God and the amazing puniness of his self and falls to pieces before him. Get that fear and you will become wise. Phil then addresses justice. The power to do the right, to give to all persons what is owed to them because of your deep respect for their personhood. The things the world tires itself out, striving to possess, don't matter at all. What matters is that you become just, upright, good, faithful, true, a man of integrity who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Let the world take everything you have if it must. Let it take away your very life, but never ever give up your grip on justice. Phil then addresses courage. The power to do the right thing when you know you will suffer for it. Not fearlessness. Foolish men are fearless. Wise men fear because they know how weak they are and how dangerous the world is. But they fear God more. Because they fear God more, they are wise to perceive the way of justice. And because in their wisdom they treasure justice more than possessions or status or life itself, they are willing to suffer loss for good. And then last, Phil addresses what he calls self-possession, or what ancients called temperance. He calls self-possession. Without it, a man is like a city broken into and left without walls. The power to rule yourself, to overrule your emotions and impulses. This virtue is, is the wall around your soul. Do not let your natural desires for food or drink or woman or revenge rule over you. If you let them, they will be your masters and you will be their slave. No, you must rule over them. You must obtain self-control so that you may possess yourself. For it is only as you possess yourself that you are able in freedom to give yourself in love. And, and Phil just uh, said those very, so well and so shortly, I just wanted to read those straight from as he said it. Um, <clears throat> but later in his letter to this young man, he addresses love. And I want to read his short paragraph on this. But in the end, there are only two realities that count for much, persons and the love they share. What is love? Love is God's son becoming man that Adam's sons might become children of God. Love is the king of kings stripping himself bare to wash his disciples' feet, to wash the feet of Judas. Love is this God-man laying down his life for his bride, dying that she may live. Learn to live for others. Learn to give yourself up for others. Learn the way of sacrifice 
and you will find joy. Very well said there. And I would, I, would, I would add to this, you know, the love of God is greater than all other loves, whether that's love of affection, romance, whatever you want to swap in there in our, because we just, the English language, we just throw love, one word on all these different things. God's love is a sacrificial love for another's good. And it's described in this way in 1 Corinthians 13, four through six. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. These virtues, wisdom, justice, courage, self-possession, the love of God, these hold promise, God's promise for your life. As we read earlier, 2 Peter 1 verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you grow in virtue, right? That's the, that's the practical life question. Okay, this is, they're good. I want them in my life. How do I grow in virtue? Well, virtue takes thought and moral effort. Vice is easy. They just coast along in neutral and let the world feed you your desires. All the while, unconsciously, the, the wickedness is, is Influence your, influencing your desires to make them more wicked. Virtue is built by intentionally pursuing habits that form into character virtue. And, and one writer uses the example of courage, and, I, and I'll say it this way. Um, the warrior, think about courage and, and combat soldier. Okay? The warrior who uses drugs or alcohol or whatever to induce a frenzy does not actually have courage. He's not courageous, he's just senseless. We would call this a, a berserker. <laughs> no courage in that. The man or the woman who trains themselves in courage in any area of life by making a thousand small acts of courage actually becomes more courageous with each act of courage. And when a crisis comes in which there is no time to think, you just have to act that person will instinctively act courageously. Regardless of how, they're, how fearful they're feeling, they will act because they've trained themselves in courage. That person has developed courage as a virtue that has become part of who they are. So virtues are not something you do after you become virtuous. They are something that you become by doing which means that you are becoming what you are habitually doing. And that should cause every one of us to, to pause and reflect and evaluate our lives and ask ourselves about our habits. Even the smallest ones. Well, what is this habit building in my life? And, and this is especially important in the gray areas of life where we, you can look and say, well, okay, there's no rule about that. There's no rule saying that's wrong. I can't you know, think of a specific 
thing wrong with that. But there are spiritual principles that do apply to it. And you can ask yourself, okay, if I do this and I, it becomes a habit, I do this every day, or maybe it's already a habit, what is it forming in you? Is it forming virtue or something else? It's important to, to evaluate ourselves and ask those things. Um, and, and preparing for this has prompted me to do that in my own life. Um, the other thing, too, if, if we want to grow in virtue, we, we don't do it alone. If, you're, if you don't know where to start, um, seek out a mentor. Find someone you admire and respect and say, hey, I, I want to grow in this area of my life. I want to grow in this virtue. What, what do you ad advise me? Uh, seek out a, a guide, a mentor in these things. We don't do this on our own. And we don't do this in our own power. The grace of God is essential in all this. And that there is no true virtue without the miracle of spiritual rebirth. We need the divine pattern of Jesus Christ to give us that, that example of what we are trying to become. And we need the pure source of virtue to purify our, our feeble attempts. And we need the strength of his divine power to empower us for what we cannot do. Which means that in the pursuit of virtue, we always stay humble because we know any progress we make is not in our power. It's in his. But it also means there is always hope because there is no defeat over which you must despair. Christ is your courage, your wisdom, your righteousness, and your self-control. He overcame the power of sin at the cross and he can overcome the power of sin in you, which means you can do this. You can grow in virtue in your life. And remember his words to you. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your promises to us. Thank you for giving us new life in your son, in your son who washes away our sin and our corruption and our vices and sets us free so that we may live now in this life in the goodness and glory and, and happiness of your ways and that the virtues of Christ may be in our life. We pray that we would pursue these things and be intentional and, and put effort into building them into our lives um, so that we may be more like you and we may find the satisfaction and contentment that is in you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.